So we are continuing this morning in our Advent series in the first two chapters of Matthew. And so we come to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. So I ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. So it's been said that The gospel of Jesus Christ is like a diamond. It has many different sides, many different faces. And each side of the diamond reveals something unique and glorious about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. We've been discussing through Advent that these many faces or aspects of the gospel are often predicted or promised in the Old Testament. Even more, many of the people events and themes throughout the Old Testament are examples that point us forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament provides shadows of what is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And so when you read and study the gospel accounts, these accounts of the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you'll see an account filled with promises and predictions that are fulfilled, an account that is filled with themes, peoples, and events from the Old Testament that find their ultimate realization and their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ coming into the world changed everything. 
And so from our passage this morning in Matthew, we'll see three truths about Jesus Christ coming into the world. The first is that Jesus brings the new exodus. The second is Jesus brings hope in suffering. And the third is Jesus overcomes the world's opposition. Jesus brings the new exodus. He brings hope in suffering. And he overcomes the world's opposition. And so our passage this morning comes at the end of the visit of the wise men. As it begins, it says, now when they had departed, referring to the wise men and their departure from the Holy Family. So the wise men had come to see the one who had been born king of the Jews. And when they found him, they rejoiced and they worshipped him. But Herod tried to trick them. He told them to report back to him when they found the baby, but he said so he could worship him, but he really wanted to kill him. And so after the wise men were warned in a dream not to tell Herod, they went home a different way. And so now we see after they leave, God once again communicating through a dream, this time to Joseph. It says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So Herod is about to carry out his evil plan to kill Jesus. And God intervenes by revealing this to Joseph, telling him to escape with his family to Egypt. And so Joseph... Being the obedient man that he is, does so immediately. And so for this, we also see God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty over all of human history. Every event, every interaction. And we also see that although the world will always oppose God and his work, God's kingdom will come. Regardless of the evil doings of humanity, regardless of who is in control of what human governments, regardless of how the economy is doing, whether there is freedom or oppression, God's plan will continue to unfold. God's kingdom will continue to be established. And Matthew notes of Jesus going to Egypt and then returning, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And we see that this is called a prophecy formula of Matthew. And we see this in one form or another all throughout his gospel. There's something about messianic prophecies or prophecies about the Messiah I want to mention. We often hear the fulfillment of prophecies by Jesus thought in a way that there's this list of messianic prophecies and then Jesus checks all the boxes. So someone might mention that there's more than 200 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Then there's this tiny probability that all these could possibly come together in one person. And this is to prove that Jesus is both God and Messiah. But the issue is that not all of the Old Testament references were predictive in their original context. While there are some clear messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, like what we studied last week, Uh, The quote from Micah 5 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This was a well-known prediction about the Messiah of where he would be born. But many of the Old Testament quotes in the New Testament were that the New Testament is saying was a fulfillment of some prophecy were not seen as a prediction of the Messiah originally. 
And so our, our first prophecy this morning, out of Egypt I called my son, is an example of this. This quote is from Hosea 11, verse 1. And in its original context, the prophet is referring to Israel collectively as God's son. And he's recalling the Exodus. But there's nothing that would make it seem that he's speaking about a future prediction of the Messiah. It's actually written in the past tense. It's rather that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew is revealing to us what's called a second fulfillment. It's a fuller meaning of the original text. This is what theologians refer to as a type. It's a person, event, or theme that points us towards Christ and is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so while this isn't as simple as Jesus just checking all the Messiah boxes, it's the way that the Bible lays this all out. And it's just as persuasive in showing the divine inspiration of Scripture. Augustine once famously wrote that the New Testament is in the Old Concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Revealed. God put footprints in the Old Testament, and Matthew was showing us in these first two chapters how those footprints lead to Jesus. I've said this before, it's like God gives us the negatives of these photos in the Old Testament, and now these pictures are being fully clarified in Jesus Christ. So throughout the whole of the Old Testament, God was giving us a picture of how he would once and for all deal with our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so why does Matthew include this particular Old Testament quote here about the exodus of Israel from Egypt? And so the exodus is a defining event in the relationship of God to his chosen people. Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians. They were in exile from the land that God had promised them, but God had not forgotten them. He sent Moses to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. In the Passover... In the Exodus, God revealed his power over all of creation, over life itself through the ten plagues. And he revealed his love for Israel, whom he called his son. In Exodus 4, God told Moses, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And the firstborn sons of Israel were spared by the death of the Passover lamb sacrificed for atonement. And so God's love was shown for Israel as he freed them from their bondage. He liberated them from Egypt and he made a covenant with them. The exodus led to the formation of a new people of God. It was the symbol of God's relationship to his people. And so in the context of Hosea 11... God now is lodging a complaint against Israel, his son, because Israel has failed to respond to his love. So even though God loved them, he freed them from bondage in Egypt, they rejected that love. They turned from God. They repeatedly sinned and worshipped other gods. And so God's intention for this people in the Exodus hadn't taken place yet because of their disobedience. And so he's now telling them of judgment, a new oppression, a new Egypt of sorts, which would be exile. Exile out of the land into Assyria. Bondage is now renewed. But God's judgment of Israel is not the end of the matter. Exile was not the end for this disobedient son. A return from exile, a return from the new Egypt is promised. And so Isaiah 11 verse 1 speaks of the first exodus in pointing us to a new exodus. 
following God's judgment upon his people, he initiates a new exodus where he will create his true people. He will create an obedient son. And so Matthew is pointing us to this new exodus that has now come about in Jesus. And so that's the first fulfillment of Jesus or the first truth about Jesus' coming in this passage, that Jesus brings the new exodus. What God did in freeing his people from the bondage of physical slavery was giving them and us a picture of the new spiritual exodus that he would bring about through Jesus Christ. We recently discussed this in our study of the Gospel of Mark, but it's coming up again here. It's another major theme in Matthew. And the second exodus was something that was promised through the prophets, and God's people longed for it. But the return from uh, from exile didn't look like the restoration they were promised. Only a remnant, only a small percentage of them had returned, and they continued to suffer under foreign rulers when they came back from exile. And they rebuilt the temple, but the glory of the Lord never seemed to return. There was no king. There was no son of David on the throne. But most importantly, the promise of a new heart and a new spirit that was associated with the new covenant hadn't come about. And so many people long for God to fulfill these promises. But Jesus, as the obedient son of God, Jesus as the true Israel, is the one who brings about this new exodus. And Matthew quotes Hosea because he's doing so in the context of the old covenant Israel. He's in the context of the first exodus. Now Jesus, as the true Israel, he will succeed where old covenant Israel failed. And as Matthew lays out in his gospel, just like Israel, Jesus came out of Egypt. Just like Israel, Jesus will pass through the waters, but in his case, baptism. And just like Israel, Jesus will be tested in the wilderness. But Jesus passes the test. He is worthy to be called God's son because of who he is in his divine nature and because of what he accomplishes in his humanity. In the new exodus that Jesus brings about, a new people of God, one that brings in people of all nations. It brings in about a greater work of deliverance that Jesus will accomplish in his death and resurrection. So Jesus will free his people, this time not from bondage in Egypt, but from the bondage of sin, death, and Satan. And so the good news of the gospel is that the new people of God are those who are delivered through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you share in the privileges and the relationships that he enjoys as the true son of God. And so even though... We're not children of God by nature. You are so by adoption. The Israel of God is no longer an ethnic people, but a spiritual one. God's covenant people includes all who put their faith in the true fulfillment of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Matthew's birth narrative continues, we have another fulfillment mentioned. It says, then Herod... When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. The record of Herod the Great shows a man that was obsessed with the defense of his throne and and, and his, his rash and violent action to what he was told. 
he slaughters all the male children in Bethlehem. But in this, you can still know that although the world will always oppose God and his work, God's kingdom will come. And that means in tragedy, you can have hope. In your anguish, you can have hope. Because through all the pain and tragedy and difficulties of this life in this broken world, God still accomplishes his purposes. And so the second fulfillment formula here speaks to this tragic event. It says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so this quote is from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. And it's also used in a different way here than in its original context. Jeremiah was referring to Ramah as the scene of national grief as the captives of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered and changed and sent into exile in Babylon. And so Rachel, who was the wife of Jacob, was considered to be like a favorite mother of Israel. She died centuries before Jeremiah wrote this, but she was buried near Ramah. And so as Israel journeys into exile, Jeremiah writes that he hears Rachel weeping over the loss of her children. But Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 31 also gives hope for the future. As many of the prophets do, he points us to the new exodus in which God will once again meet his people in the wilderness. But this time, The power of sin would be broken, and the people would be a holy nation they were supposed to be. And Jeremiah 31 also brings the promise that God will make a new covenant with his people. And so Matthew, like Jeremiah, hears Rachel weeping over the loss of her children. Inherit slaughter of the infants, the oppression, and the destruction of Israel continues. But the hope that has been promised that hasn't been fully realized, is coming. And this quote establishes that while there's continued grief for Israel, the fulfillment of Israel's hope is here. Because Jesus escapes the slaughter, he is the fulfillment of Israel's hope. Jesus is the true Israel, the true seed of Abraham, the true son of God. God's promise of restoration is now on its way to fulfillment. The hope promised for the future of God's people is now being realized. And so Jesus relives Israel's history. And he does so in obedience. He keeps the covenant. And in doing so, he restores God's people. And so the second truth about the coming of Jesus in the world that is revealed in our passage is that Jesus brings hope in suffering. One thing that is clear you've lived long enough in this world is that pain and suffering are inevitable. Suffering comes with life in this broken world. It's inescapable. And so there are two options then in your suffering. Suffering with hope or suffering without hope. And in Jesus Christ, you have a real hope. He provides hope from God in your suffering. He provides a presence in your suffering. There are some people, and many actually, that deny the existence of a loving God, deny the existence of Jesus Christ because of the existence and even persistence of evil, pain, and suffering. 
But to deny God doesn't make the pain and suffering go away. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins once said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Without Jesus Christ, you're left with nothing but your pain and your suffering. There is no hope in the cruelty of this world if you reject Jesus Christ. But for you, the hope of Jesus Christ is your hope. You're currently in exile in this world, awaiting the return of Christ, awaiting for Christ to complete the new exodus. And during this exile, you will suffer. But your hope in Christ is real. You will be delivered fully and completely from sin and death in the new exodus into the new heavens and the new earth upon his return. And where it is said in Revelation 21 that God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. And so as you suffer in this world, the coming of the Christ and his death and resurrection points us forward, points you forward to your future resurrection. And so you have the real hope of Jesus Christ in this world, even as you suffer. So then the story of Jesus' escape to Egypt ends with his return. And then we see another fulfillment of prophecy that is given. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And so now Herod has died, and once again an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him to take Jesus and Mary back to Israel. But because Herod's son was on the throne, they went to Galilee. And this is where Nazareth, where Jesus was raised, is located. And this gives us the third fulfillment formula in this passage. It says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he was called a Nazarene. So it's important to, to note here that Matthew is not quoting from any particular prophet here. There's, a, there's no passage in the Old Testament that says those exact words, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew is giving us a theme of prophecy from multiple prophets. You can see it's spoken by the prophets, plural, and rather than quoting a specific passage. And there's a few theories to exactly what Matthew is referring to, but it most likely refers to the fact that Nazareth is non-existent in the Old Testament. This means it was an insignificant place of little reputation. So for someone to be called a Nazarene in connection with claiming to be the Messiah would have been to invite ridicule and dismissal. And we see this in John chapter 1. Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And then Philip immediately goes to Nathanael and says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael's only question to Philip, claiming that they found the Messiah, is how could the Messiah possibly be from Nazareth? And although the dominant understanding of the Messiah is that of royalty, of a king, there was also this expectation in the prophets that the Messiah would be unrecognized, that the Messiah would not be taken serious by his people. And this theme of, of non-recognition and disdain is most prominent in God's servant in Isaiah. The Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant that comes to a climax in Isaiah 53. It speaks of this unimpressive appearance of the servant, that the people would be incredulous, that he would be despised and rejected and, and held of no account. Isaiah also uses the imagery of the servant, uh, servant springing up like a shoot out of the dry ground, which, which speaks to these unexpected origins. And so there was this expectation by the prophets that the Messiah would appear from nowhere and therefore would be misunderstood and rejected. And it makes sense that Matthew would be connecting Jesus to the suffering servant of Isaiah here because the suffering servant Isaiah is said to bring about the new exodus. And so Isaiah foretold much about Jesus' role as a suffering servant and how he would do this, how he would bring about the new exodus. Because it's through the sacrificial death of Jesus that you can have a spiritual exodus. It's because Jesus was oppressed and afflicted that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter that you can be freed from the slavery of your sins. It's because he poured out his soul to death because he was numbered with the transgressors, because he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. It's in Jesus that we see the fullness of God's plan revealed. It's in Jesus that the fullness of God's redemption has been gone and will be completed. And so our third truth about the coming of Jesus is that Jesus overcomes the world's opposition. From the moment of his birth, Jesus was opposed. He was still an infant, and Herod tried to kill him. God brought Jesus about in his way. It's not the way we would have done it. It's not the king that many expected to overcome their earthly enemies. But God brought about his king in humility. He was rejected on earth so that he could defeat the real enemies of sin and death. And he's exalted in his resurrection and in his ascension. And so as you do God's work in this world, as you submit to his will to bring about his kingdom, you will face opposition. Jesus told us that the world would reject us as they rejected him. But you can know in the face of that rejection, in the face of that opposition, that all God's promises will be fulfilled. That God's kingdom will come. He will redeem all of creation and you will be exalted with him. The miraculous nature of God's redemptive work will be fully revealed upon the return of Christ. He is the God who is in control of all of history, all of creation. He sovereignly brought a Savior into the world, and he has revealed what he's been doing since the beginning of creation. So as you yourselves deal with difficulty, with tragedy, pain, suffering, you can have confidence and you can have hope in all that God has promised. Because although the world will always oppose God and his work, 
God's kingdom will come. And so we find ourselves in this period after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when when the new exodus has begun, but has not yet been completed, where you still struggle with your sin. You still struggle with the brokenness of the world. But you wait. You wait as God's chosen people, knowing that Jesus will return as promised, and he will finish what he has begun. Our spiritual exodus, where we have had a spiritual birth, And we've received the spirit of God will be completed in the resurrection of our bodies. When you will no longer sin. You will no longer have illness or death. When you will be in a glorified body so that you can glorify God and Christ for eternity. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you partake in this new spiritual exodus. It's only in faith that you will wait the final exodus into our promised land, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. And God has promised this reality to all who believe in Jesus Christ. And as God always is faithful, you can know for sure that he will be faithful to that promise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we praise you. We glorify you on this Christmas Eve morning that you sent your son into this world and that he is our only hope in life and in death. And so as we struggle and suffer in this world, we know that we have a hope in your son, that all that you have already done in him is the down payment on the future promise that he will return and that he will make all things new. And we look forward and long for the day of his return that we will be with you in glory, in a perfect place, in righteousness for the rest of eternity with no more sin, no more pain, no more crying or death where we will glorify you and be glorified with you in your perfect love for the rest of eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.